This is the Outdoor Wire Weekend Edition. I'm Jim Shepard. Lots happening in the outdoors. The last week was really busy, so let's get right to it. First of all, Acting Secretary of the Interior David Bernhardt has signed a secretarial order that will prioritize the new Conservation Management and Recreation Act. That it was just signed by President Trump, and it calls for permanent reauthorization of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Now, that opens access to specifically isolated pockets of public land for recreational shooting and hunting and fishing, unless there's a specific reason otherwise. And that's one reason the National Shooting Support uh, Sports Foundation and many other outdoor organizations are supporting the promotion of Bernhardt to full secretary and not acting secretary. He's proven to be a strong supporter for public access to public lands. Well, the Supreme Court would not intervene in a proposed bump stock ban that went into effect this week, technically. On Thursday, the second attempt to put the ATF ban on hold was denied. Now, the ATF has come out with instructions on how bump stocks should either be destroyed or turned into field offices. There's really one complication, however. Nobody really knows how many of these now felonious devices are actually out there in the hands of consumers. Possession of one, however could be punishable by a fine and up to 10 years in prison. Now, it's not all a done deal yet because a separate suit has been filed in Texas to stop the the ban, and it is still pending. Other legal news, the red flag laws, those emergency risk protection orders we've heard so much about, were under review this week by the Senate Judiciary Committee, And the large issue is due process and the idea of protecting people who may be a threat to themselves and others. It's a naughty thing to try to figure out. Committee Chair Lindsey Graham says he thinks it's an idea better handled at the state level. But it's an issue that's not, not, I say, going away. And despite those concerns and the no vote of the Democratic Senate president, Colorado legislators went ahead and passed their version of a red flag law last week. Majority of the law enforcement officials say straight up that they don't think it's safe and it's unconstitutional. They said it's dangerous for everyone. Well, Oregon is where the gun rights battle may be the most fast and furious. Last week, thousands of Oregon gun owners showed up at the state capitol in Salem to protest proposed legislation to ban, you guessed it, the modern sporting rifle, the AR-15. This coming Tuesday, the Oregon Senate Committee on Judiciary will hold a hearing on SB 978. That's the ban. Oregon gun owners, as you can imagine, are being asked to show up and demonstrate their opposition. Well, April Fool's Day is Monday, but it's no fooling that Nevada's legislature is holding a last-minute public joint hearing on gun restrictions. We're told this short-notice hearing is intentional. They don't want Second Amendment witnesses there for the hearing. Now, this piece of legislative work would do some really crazy things like ban gun customization and aftermarket parts like triggers. It would also repeal state preemption of authority of counties and towns to regulate guns. Now, what that really means is individual towns, counties, even little municipalities could 
could just put into effect any restrictive ordinance they wanted. That's crazy. Well, Illinois is going to the state Supreme Court over a judge's ruling that the state requirement for a fire owner's a firearms owner's identification identification card, FOID, photos and a fee to possess a gun in your own home is unconstitutional. Now, the eternal in uh, Illinois Attorney General is appealing. I'm sorry, this is so silly, it's got me tied up in a knot. The Illinois AG is appealing that despite an early or finding that said compliance was essentially um, impossible. Now, let's get to some fun stuff. Let's talk about long-distance shooting. This week, I spent several days out on the FTW Ranch in Texas for a second course on long-distance shooting. Now, I focused on long-range shooting and effectively shooting for hunting. If you're talking about hunting for doll sheep, mountain goats, and other exotics, you're talking about shooting at really long distances. It's not unusual to be faced with a shot of 500 yards or more. Honestly, most of us can't make that kind of a precision shot. And especially if we're trying for that all-important single-shot kill. Without training and practice, you just can't do it. It's one thing to sit on a range and walk your long shots onto a great big target but making it under duress and real conditions is a different deal altogether. That's why I went to the instructors at the Sportsman's All-Weather All-Terrain Markmanship Group. Using natural terrain, they took me across Texas hill country in terrain that simulates some of the roughest hunting conditions imaginable. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I made some pretty long shots. But I thought it was important that you understand a little bit about why something like this even exists. So I sat down and talked with FTW Ranch owner Tim Fallon. He's a very experienced big game hunter who created the ranch and the SAM school to teach, believe it or not, ethical hunting and to preserve wildlife. Yes, they are not mutually exclusive. I talked with him about FTW and SAM and now we're going to share that conversation. Well, Tim, FTW is kind of, I think we called it Disneyland for shooters. We come here, we learn all kinds of things. But there's a whole lot more to it than just a giant ranch where people can, can learn how to shoot better, isn't it? Yeah, we kind of come full circle, Jim. We, um, from protecting endangered species from around the world to teaching our nation's military snipers uh, and facilitating them to help them become better and better prepared to go to battle. Um, the biggest, largest thing we do, of course, is the SAM training program, Sportsman's All-Weather, All-Terrain Marksmanship. Now, Sportsman, All-Weather, All-Terrain, that pretty much says it, doesn't it? But it, but it, there's a lot more to it than just we want to teach you to be a better hunter. We want to teach you to be a very ethical hunter, don't we? Well, that is actually the largest thing we teach. Um, folks bring their own gear, and we help them to be better with it. But the most important thing I think we teach, Jim, is is to help people understand where their threshold is. It is the hunter's job, and my firm belief, I'll go to my grave saying it, that the hunter should kill the animal in one, the first shot. It not, does not always happen, but everybody should certainly strive to do that. Um, therefore, we're not big fans of this long-range killing crap you see on TV and people brag about. I think it's disgusting, personally. 
um, it is called hunting. You're supposed to get as close as you can and then make sure you kill the animal, your, your quarry, in, in the first shot. And it, the ethics involved in that, I think, look, we can't teach people ethics. Their mama is supposed to do that. Um, but we help them understand what the ethics really are. Now, we were out here shooting 2,000 yards and 2,300. Some of us never hit that, but we shot at it. And that's not, I, I, I want to give you a chance to disabuse anybody of the idea that we're teaching you to, we, that, that FTW and the, and the school are teaching you to take ridiculously long shots at animals. That's not the case, is it? No, it's absolutely not the case. In fact, on the SAM side, um, we, we do teach people to shoot 700 yards, um, not at animals, but the theory is, for instance, the last three years running in Marco Polo hunter students that have been here, Marco Polo sheep hunters that have been here, their average shot after the hunt was 550 yards. And that's a long, long poke for the average guy and, or gal and the average piece of equipment. So, you know, it, a lot of it's equipment dependent and shooter skill dependent. But if you're going to have to make a 500-yard shot on a doll sheep in Alaska or, or a, a Marco Polo sheep in Tajikistan, you better be practicing at 700 yards like any good golfer. Now that, and we teach them right up front. In fact, for the folks that come here and want to shoot an elk at 700 yards, the first thing we do is lay them down and say, okay, hit that 9-inch plate at 700, We're not, and I'm not going to call your win. And it's never happened yet. And so they get it. They look up at you and go, okay, I get this. I understand this. This is, this is wrong. You shot extremely long distances, and we do. The reason we have those ranges is mainly due to the military because they're doing some amazing stuff. Um, and you did it because Ruger brought you in here shooting some amazingly long-distance shooting platforms. And so we stretch them out. And besides that, at the end of the day, I don't care who you are, shooting steel plates at 2,000 yards is just fun. Uh, whether it's 500 yards or 2,000 yards or, you know, 2,300 yards, it's just fun. Well, you know, I, I like practical shooting. Bang, ding, bang, ding, bang, ding, 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 if you get it right. I learned to be a little more patient out here today, this week, because it was bang, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, impact. You didn't hear the ding because the bullet's faster than that. But 3.3 seconds in flight, people don't understand how long that is. But what I take away from this is... Yes, with the right platform, which we were equipped with, and experts calling the wind, a trigger monkey like me, if I can learn to be quiet, slow down, and squeeze the trigger, can hit targets at really long distances. What I really learned is my maximum hunting distance with my equipment is never going to be beyond 300 yards unless I'm equipped for something different. My gun is not reliable beyond that distance with me behind it. Right. And we help the students um, understand the importance of factoring in real-life circumstances. So you can get on our ranges and come through a five-night, four-day course, and you're very good at shooting 500 yards. And you had a drill yesterday, which what we call hair-in-the-scope drill. Now all of a sudden you induce pressure and tension and excitement, and all of a sudden, you're a 500-yard shooter. You now might be the 300-yard shooter because your heart rate's going nuts, you're excited, um, all the real-life circumstances of hunting are kicking in. And you have to learn how to control that, and we help people understand that and do that. But we just leave people, I hope, we leave everybody with the, with the attitude of, you know what, let's get closer, and let's make sure I can kill that thing in one shot. Well, I, you know, we talk about shooting animals at those distances. I think you need to address the idea 
or the misconception that some people will have when they hear that, that we're shooting, if we're hunting a zebra, to say, we're trying to hit a zebra somewhere at 500 or 700 yards. That's not at all the case, is it? No, it's absolutely not the case. In fact, Africa's a little different story. Um, we get asked all the time, and people come here with the misconception, well, I want to shoot my Cape Buffalo at 200 yards. No, you don't. That's an extremely long shot. And the number one problem is you've lost a ton of energy by the time it leaves the muzzle to 200 yards. And besides that, up close and personal is very exciting, and that's what it's all about. And a zebra shot past 150 yards is way too long. Uh, again, it's a very pound-for-pound pound, one of the toughest animals on earth. Um, well, I guess it's the same example with adult sheep. We're not shooting a sheep-sized target. We're shooting a tiny plate on a sheep image. Right. No, it's exactly right. Um, you know, we have a, we, our favorite saying is, you know, the days of you hoping you're going to hit it are done. The days of you wanting and being able to hit a six- or nine-inch plate is here. And you just have to understand what distance that limit falls apart on, depending on environment and circumstances and everything else. You know, I I hunt with people who talk about being bean field and green field hunters, and they're shooting deer at 350 and 400 yards, and 89 times out of 100, if you go out there and laze that distance, it's a 400-yard field, but he came out better than halfway through it. They're, they're just not that good. No, uh, you know, some shooters are very good, but... Again, you induce real-life circumstances like what we call hair in the scope, and all of a sudden your heart rate goes nuts and your breathing goes out of control. You forget the seven principles of marksmanship. and um, Yeah, you just have to read. The hunter has to be trained to the point where he understands, that, okay, whoa, 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 settle down, settle down. I'm going to get closer. I'm going to take a few breaths here and relax a little bit. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think people get over, some people get overwrought with, gee, I need to kill this thing at a long distance. No, you don't. This, that's not hunting. Um, you know, I'm glad. I'm really happy. I tell people all the time, I'm really happy America's back in love with its military. But even though we do both, and we've blended kind of both in, into the SAM program, we keep it realistic. I mean, look, we've had snipers here, literally active-duty snipers, miss a coyote at 110 yards. Nobody is immune to hair in the scope, and that's that's what you have to be able to understand. So... As we say, just because you've been here doesn't mean you'll never miss. But every time you miss, you'll know exactly why you missed. Well, and the frustrating thing of, you know, hunting, life, golf, they're all pretty much alike. About the time you think you've got it figured out, you make the 700-yard shot, and you miss twice at 250. Because I got this. If you think you got it, you are really out of control at that point. But... All of this talks about the parts that people want to know about. Talk to me a little bit about the, the conservation elements here. I'm fascinated with what you do with wild animals. Well, we, here on the ranch, it's 12,000 acres of, of crazy. Um, it is high fence, 32 miles of high, perimeter high fence. Um, and pe- a lot of people have a misconception we high fence in Texas to keep things in. That's actually not true. It's to keep things out. So, for instance, we have a very large herd of wild Nubian ibex. All it would take is one domestic goat, and that genetic pool is done. So, I mean, that high fence is super important. So here at the FTW, we focus on animals that are no longer huntable, whether indigenous from or endangered, or even in some cases extinct. Um, Doesn't mean I have a problem with a ranch that wants to bring in animals that you can still go hunt in Africa or wherever else. That's fine. Um, I just, I like the conservation side of it. Um, Between the animals in the wild that are born and bred here and are wild as March hares, um, we also have an extensive breeding program um, where 
will take the super endangered species such as transcaspian ural nubian ibex the turkoman markhor and that sort of thing and um, have them into a program where uh, the, the offspring either leave here and go into what I call the zoo circuit, which may be to another breeding ranch. It may be actually into a zoo to change over genetics and so forth, keep the animals healthy. And then the males typically go into a five-year aging program, and then we release them to the wild, sometimes three years, sometimes five years. And the reason we do that is no other reason other than we get tired of finding dead babies killed by predators, bobcats, coyotes, mountain lions, etc. And so we want to give the animals the best chance to survive. The deer species on the ranch are born in the wild, and we don't have any of them in the breeding program, except hog deer would be the only exception. So it's a really, it's a full circle program. It's really fun. I, I absolutely love it. Okay, so Tim has you interested in the idea of big game hunting or long range shooting, which is also tons of fun. You're going to need something reliable, and that would be your optics. Those are key to any sort of long-distance shooting. This week, I use a loophole Mark V HD scope. It's a new scope. It's a mid-priced optic, which means it's affordable. And I still made hits on small targets, 24 inches, at 2,000 yards. That's a crazy distance, way over the mystical mile shot that we all make, and it's far beyond anything a hunter should ever consider. That's a military distance. And we only did it to prove the capabilities of the tools we were testing and to give us a little bit of an idea as to, as to you know, what could happen out there and the ability to shoot that far repeatedly. That was not something we could do. And at the end... I was pretty well convinced that Leupold has it going on and has it pretty much figured out. So I asked product manager John Snodgrass to share some suggestions for shooters about uh, looking out to stretch your distances. What do you need to do? Let's just move from there. So it really depends. You know, when we talk longer distance, are we, are we talking long-range hunting? Are we talking long-range target shooting? You kind of need to define what it is you want. Well, I think long-range target shooting will define where your long-range hunting should go because the two are not equal. This, this is true, and but the, the optics that you were going to choose would, would not necessarily be equal all either. Um, there, there are advantages and disadvantages to either a front focal plane reticle or a second focal plane reticle. Sometimes a second focal plane reticle will have an advantage in a hunting situation because if you do need to make those close shots, um, that reticle is always the same size. It's always visible and clear in, on the lower powers. On a front focal plane rifle scope, that works a little bit better if you're purely target shooting because you can use it for hold-offs and wind, regardless of what power it's on. Um, so you just you kind of have to define what. Well, you're if you're if you're going to go the long distance performance scope, the right. competition scope yeah. will work for hunting because you can still learn, but you need to learn, I guess, the skills for the longer distance. Correct. Yeah, you, you are competition type shooting. Correct. And then it's just a matter of, of understanding what, what your personal budget is. Um, there's, there's lots of stuff on the, on the market, even from within Leupold, um, that'll, that'll match any budget. Uh, the scopes you were shooting today, the Mark 5s, you know, they're kind of uh, what we would consider a mid-price range performance optic. Uh, they do retail street value right around that $2,000 mark, some a little less, some a little bit more. Um, but you get a lot of value for that dollar. I was going to say that there was nothing mid-range about the performance on the scopes out there. We were making some uh, 
ridiculous distance shots, which, of course, what riders do is ridiculous things to test things. But, I mean, 2,000 yards with any scope is, is pretty good poke. Correct. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time with the Mark Fives trying to optimize the performance and the value and especially the, the versatility of the scopes. As you noticed, you know, the scopes are extremely lightweight. So to your point earlier, you, you learn how to shoot long range on targets with them. They're light enough that they're not going to bog down a, a, you know, a fairly uh, lightweight mountain rifle. You know, the scopes run between 26 and 32 ounces, so we're significantly less weight than some of the competition. Um, the clarity and resolution is phenomenal. They use the same extended Twilight HD lens system, that our premier hunting scopes, the VX5 and the VX6, use. So your clarity, your resolution, your contrast are all very high uh, on those on those optics. Okay, now you, you talked about lens groups. You're not using as many pieces of glass in scopes as you used to in general. Yes and no. So with the Mark V, we made a conscious effort to do what we call slowing the system down. Um, when you bend light, you have an opportunity for that light to get out of phase and that can cause some problems you know you get one lens that provides great clarity but it can cause some color aberrations you're you know camera lenses so so you're familiar with that um, when we slowed the system on the mark five down compared to say our eight times zoom mark eight uh, we were able to use less lenses and therefore much higher quality, much higher grade lenses in order to get a really, really robust scope that has a lot of clarity, contrast, and resolution. You know, that's, that's a point we, I do need to make that. Using less glass in the scope does not mean it's not as good. It means the glass and the technology has gotten better. Exactly. and enables you to transmit more light through the scope, which is the key. The more light you pass through, the better your imaging or your, better your light transfer. Yeah, and every time you add a lens, you, you can create more problems for yourself in the system. So being able to minimize the number of lenses and still use real high-quality glass allows us to keep that, that excellent image, keeps the weight of the scope down, keeps the cost of the scope down, really provides the end user with, with a, a great value uh, and a feature set. Okay, now when I decide to step up and, and buy, say, a Mark V HD, I get into the Mark V. Boy, there's all kinds of stuff on that turret. What's the most valuable thing I can pick up right out of the gate with that scope to help me get better faster? Just getting some time behind it. So as you mentioned, that there's a lot going on with the elevation dial, but it is pretty intuitive and pretty simple to use. We, we went out of our way to make sure that uh, it's a three-turn dial, right? So on a lot of scopes, you can get lost in those three turns or two turns on most scopes and, and not really know where you're at in the travel. On the Mark V, you know, we put that button on there that, that basically gives you a visual and a tactile indicator of what turn you're on. And so, you know, if, if the button's sticking out, I use line number one. If the button's flush, I use line number two. If the button's recessed, I use line number three. So it's very intuitive. Um, just learning how to use use a Kestrel or, or some sort of ballistic app and and how to dial correctly and keep track of your dials, I'd say would be the most important thing. You are dead without something to help you ballistically. Yeah, especially, you know, like, like you saw out there at 2,000 yards, uh, you know, the, the science behind where the bullet's going to drop to is, is phenomenal. They got that pretty well figured out, but once those winds start blowing, you need as much help as you can get. Yeah, to give you an idea, when you're shooting 2,000 yards, you've got about 3.3 seconds from the time it leaves the barrel till the time it impacts the target. 
if you've got a fast enough dialer on your phone and you can get a good signal, you can call and ask the guy next to the target to look and see where you hit. But otherwise, he's in trouble. Um, you know, the whole thing about long-distance shooting, it's, it, is it systemic? Do you have to look at putting your system together and then sticking with it? It's a good idea. So you always want to consider the entire system, and the shooter's part of that system as well, right? So um, as, as we saw out here today with the Ruger rifles or this week with the Ruger rifles, you don't need to spend a lot of money on a gun these days. The machining tolerances have gotten better. Um, the barrels that they're able to produce in, in mass production have gotten better. Obviously, the ammunition is extremely consistent, extremely accurate, uh, and that rifle scope is just a guidance system for that bullet, right? So if you do think about it as a system, you want to find a gun that's going to fit you, make sure the scope is set up right and both the scope and the rifle are set up to fit the shooter and good ammo, and, and that should be all you need to really get started and get going. And once again, we've gatewayed you into another expensive hobby, which is the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> and it is a gateway into a more expensive hobby, which is the way the industry does seem to work. That wraps this weekend's edition. If you want to keep up with the outdoors and the outdoor industry on a daily business basis, rather, go to www.theoutdoorwire.com and click on the subscribe button. It's free. It comes in a mailbox every Monday through Friday. You'll get the latest hot product and industry news, the features that will help you enjoy the outdoors even more, and best of all, there's something you will never get from us, junk mail. We never sell edit, rent, trade, share, buy, borrow, or distribute your information. That's a promise we've kept for nearly 20 years, so don't worry about giving us a try. And until next time, I'm Jim Shepard. You're listening to the Outdoor Wire's Weekend Edition.